exciting series so far. We're looking at the book of Daniel and these four individuals who were taken captive into Babylon. They were thrust into this new world and challenged to conform to its ways. They had their names changed. Daniel to Belteshazzar, Hananiah to Shadrach, Mishael to Meshach, and Hananiah, Azariah, sorry, to Abednego. The change was so heavy on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that this is what we call them today, which is quite strange. As we look into chapter 3, we focus in on these characters, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We see how they were persecuted for what they believed in. Reading from verse 1, the chapter says, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent the messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, and magistrates, and all the provincial officers came to the dedication of the statue he'd set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted out, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all other musical instruments, bow down to the ground and worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be flown, flown, thrown into the blazing furnace. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all people, whatever their race, nation, or language, bow down to the ground and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. King Nebuchadnezzar must have been the most powerful man in the world at this time. His empire in Babylon grew to its largest in his lifetime and under his reign between 669 and 627 BC. We see that it spread as far south down there, as far south as Egypt, as far north as Turkey today, which is kind of crazy. In the east, east, his, his empire spread into Iran. And in the west, we see his empire spread all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. It's very clear from these verses that Nebuchadnezzar as a man is someone who placed his hope and trust in his wealth and his power that he had over others. He comes across a man very sure of himself. Last week, we looked at Daniel chapter 2. And in this chapter, we saw how Nebuchadnezzar had had a dream. In this dream, he saw a statue that represented the rise and fall of earthly kingdoms. The first, the head of gold in this statue. The second, a silver chest and arms showing the Medo-Persian Empire that followed the Babylonian Empire, and the third being a bronze belly and thighs representing the Greek Empire, followed by the fourth, the feet of the Roman Empire made from iron and clay. In the dream, this statue was destroyed and just left as dust, and this can be seen in the rise and fall of these empires if we look in a history book today. It's funny how we see a king who's been told of how his kingdom will fall and pass away and was so troubled by this dream that he'd had 
suddenly then see fit to build another statue in real life, entirely out of gold, as if to say that nobody could ever rival his reign. Nebuchadnezzar seems to be fighting this battle with himself, where his value and his hope is placed in his wealth and his power, to the point that the spread of his empire isn't enough. He seems to be living in a constant lack and want where, where his peace in himself is aligned so closely with taking over a new set of people. This just leaving him constantly thirsting for new followers, subjects, and slaves. All these things in the world were not able to satisfy the thirst that he had. It seemed no amount of money or authority could meet the desire that the king had. Something was always missing. The whole world wouldn't have been enough. Matthew 6.21 says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. We see our hearts can't be divided between God, the things of God, and the things of this world. There comes a place where our heart is just so precious to us. We know when, when something offends us, we know we can feel that in our heart. And we know that we can carry offenses for years. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I guess this, this brings to my attention that we have to be careful of what we look to and what we focus on in this world. I see that the world presents itself as all we need for true joy and peace. But in Jesus, there is unimaginable eternal wealth. The empires, as we've seen, rise and fall. Money comes and goes, but Jesus remains the same. Even with the rising of the falling of these empires, the good news of the salvation in Jesus Christ has prevailed. His word has been the same and he's here today by the Holy Spirit. 2,000 years ago, God came to earth as Jesus to live a life of perfection that we could not. He gave himself to death on a cross on our behalf so that we can be forgiven our wrongs. In the freedom that comes from this forgiveness, enough is enough, and God meets us in that place of need. There is no more wanting for the things of this world that can't satisfy our souls. Jesus loves you. <laughs> he loves you and he wants a deep living relationship with you. He wants to walk through hard times of life with you. These furnaces of life may present themselves in many different ways. Today that might mean personal illness. It might mean the illness of a person close to you. It might mean depression. It might mean an addiction that you're struggling to open up about. But God is present and he's here to listen. God has created us all with our differences and quirks, some more quirky than others, but we are complex organisms that he's made in his likeness. We laugh, we smile, and sometimes we cry. Life is a roller coaster and God is with us on it as he was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
Reading from verse 13, we see how the guys were strong in their faith in this time. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue that I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue that I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve the gods or worship the gold statue that you've set up. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. That sounds like really angry. Like, (laughs) But yeah, um, yeah, his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of the army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. From these verses, we see the three men standing before the might of this king, just completely calm. They were super chill. They're just, you know, <laughs> loving it. They had this rock-like faith, and they were able to stand in the face of their fate, look straight at the king and say, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. Could you imagine what they were going through? I mean, I don't know if they spoke in unison, but I know that if I was with them at this point, I'd be pretty quiet. I mean, how? How could they be so incredibly calm in the face of such adversity? It has become clear to me that they knew the bigger picture. As we read from verse 8, but some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king! You issued a decree requiring all people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gods that you have set up. We see here very clearly that it was the astrologers that were working against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These astrologers, the king's advisors, served pagan gods that were idols that were worshipped in Babylon, unlike in Jerusalem, back home for these guys. 
these astrologers saw the guys as a threat to their political position. They clearly did not serve the God that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. Often the question is asked, if there is a God, why do bad things happen? There are dark forces in the world working against God's plan and will, but in Jesus' name, the light will overcome the darkness. A friend of mine, who's here today actually, was telling me the other day about marine training and how as people go into, want to go into the marines, they go through this training process of just mental torture and physical pain to see if they're ready to do so. And something that seemed common and just consistent in the people that made it through this process was that they were able to see that this wasn't the end. They were able to see in that moment of being cold and wet and exhausted in that tough time that this was only training or that there was so much more purpose in what they were doing. They were able to get through that emotional barrier and say, I know that there is more. I know that this is just the beginning. I know this is not the end for me. Being fully aware of the spiritual battle that they're in, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego see the bigger picture. They can see that God doesn't want them to be thrown into the furnace. They can see that their battle is not with flesh and blood. And they can see that God is good even in the face of this furnace. This gave them a deep rooting faith in which they could stand unshakable before King Nebuchadnezzar and say, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. Because for me, a tough time with the idea of faith and learning that was when my father passed away. He had been diagnosed with cancer, which was already tough. And it was hard to see where God could be in such a situation. It's hard to make sense of that. A man who didn't smoke, who didn't drink, yet had this disease within him. I was confused by this. It almost seemed unfair. Yeah, and it was some months after that his condition worsened and he eventually passed. This leaves not only an emptiness of seeing a loved one pass away, but also the many questions. Why? Where was God? And where was he when I saw my mother suffering and, and I could do nothing about it? I find myself now knowing each more and more each day that the presence of pain doesn't mean the absence of God. There are certain truths that exceed and exist beyond circumstances. We can see how Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego's story concluded as we read from verse 24. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, we do not, oops, sorry, didn't we tie up these three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around, unharmed in the furnace, and the fourth looks like a god. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officials, high officers, officials, governors, and the advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them, nor a hair on their heads was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants and trusted him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve any god except their own god. Therefore I make this decree, if any people, whatever their race, nation, language, he's going off again, whatever the race, nation, language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to higher positions in the province of Babylon. One thing that just came to my attention is almost Nebuchadnezzar not being able to almost recognize what is, what I see as Jesus in this furnace. Nebuchadnezzar had built this conditional faith that he maybe agreed with God when it suited him or the idea of God was convenient when it meant a result for him. But here we see a man faced with the truth of God professing praise the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If we can just get ourselves to the place of seeing, as it says in Hebrews 13:8, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If we can hold on to this truth, we can see that the God who was present in the good times is the same God that's there in the bad times that there are these absolute truths that we can hold to. We see this protection that is on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God and his love, his hand was on them in such a way that this furnace was able to kill the soldiers that carried them up there, yet keep them protected. The question might be, why would God allow them to be thrown into the furnace in the first place? Why would God allow a bad situation to happen? Ultimately, he showed who he was and his glory beyond that. This makes me think of Paul when he speaks of his sufferings. In Romans 5, verse 3, he says, We too can rejoice when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance helps develop strength of character and character strengthens our confidence, our confident hope of salvation. Paul knew the bigger picture. He knew that there was more to this. He knew that in this life, in this present time, we will face troubles. In this world, we will face trouble. But he knew that his God had overcome this world. We see that not even the smell of the smoke lingered 
on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Last weekend, we went away on our authentic weekend away, and there was a campfire, and a lot of the guys went out and were sat around this campfire, and there was just this heavy smell of smoke as everyone came back in. And I just can't imagine just how these guys have managed to not even smell of smoke after they've come back in. It's quite astonishing how this protection followed them as they went. I see that no matter where we go, no matter what happens, God will not allow anything to stick to us. No matter what the situation that we were put in, no matter what the situation that happened, God can take us through unharmed without even the smell of smoke. In this I see that if our furnace, if our struggle is the loss of a loved one, we can, by God's grace and by God's strength, learn to live a life to its fullness in the future. I believe this means if you are divorced, that you are not spoilt goods or weird things people say, <laughs> that God has life of fullness before you and in Jesus' name that will come to pass. I believe that God takes us through and carries us out of tough seasons, not as though we're escaping, escaping flames just about, but he brings us through in this place in his full glory. God will only allow us to be in situations that will not destroy us. And it's by his grace and by his strength that we will walk with our heads held high, covered by the blood of Jesus, as we do not walk smelling of smoke. No smoke will come upon us. We will walk free. We will walk clean and alive in Christ Jesus. In this, I just strongly believe that we need to just hold on to the truth that is the protection and love of God. I believe that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. I see too that even in the things that happened, the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions. Even in the time that we lose in struggle, in the tough times we might feel like we've lost time, we've lost some of ourselves even, but all will be restored. We will not lose what we think we've lost. I see Nebuchadnezzar, and it's almost sad how he's not able to fully open himself and receive all that God is revealing before him. His heart is almost so lost in other things that he just can't see the amazing truths that are being revealed before his very eyes. He says one of them looks like, and the fourth looks like a God. Little did he know there is only one God, that there is one true God. And I believe that as we walk through life, if we can put our faith and trust in the right place, we can trust God in the difficult parts, no matter what the outcome be, and we can grow a deep working faith that we will not be harmed by anything in any furnace, not even the smell of smoke. 
I believe what that means and I believe that means that the best is ahead in our lives and I believe that that means that we can stand clean and cool in the hands of Jesus Christ. I think for this, this might mean different things for all of us. I think one thing to look at might be how we might place our faith. Are we planting ourselves fully in Jesus? May we not leave room to leave ourselves divided. Are we in a place where we need to develop deep roots within him and invest in a growing relationship with him? Or are we in a place where we need to look back at past pain and maybe even say, God, I need to talk to you about this. Pastor Pete Scazzaro said in his book about emotional health in the church, grieving our losses transforms us in remarkable ways that make the process worthwhile. Layers of our counterfeit self are shed, something truer that is Christ in and through us slowly emerges. New possibilities become possible for us and for all those we touch with our lives. May the pain we experience not go to waste. What happened to us may not be taken away, but that doesn't mean that others can't be changed, others' lives can't be impacted, and your story can't go on to change the course of another person's life. And I pray that we can just learn to use this pain to bring healing to others. I'm going to pray as we close. Father, I just thank you that indeed you are with us in all the hard times. God, that you are the same God yesterday, today, and forever. That you are a God who meets us in that furnace. You meet us, God, in our place of greatest need. And God, I pray if today this means that you need us to put more trust in you, we may know you already, but do you, if you need us to put our full, the full weight of our trust in you, God, may you let that be known. May you provoke us into action. And Father, where you need us to deepen our roots, God, may you just allow us to just speak to you, grow in an emotional relationship with you that allows the fullness of your will to come through our lives. May you use us, God, for your purpose and your plan and your will. Father, may we learn to trust you with whatever the outcome is. God, may we know that you are good. May we know that you are faithful. May we know that you are for us. I'm also aware that some of you here have spoken about trusting Jesus and where we place and plant our trust but I'm aware that some of you here are yet to place your faith in Jesus Christ and come into a relationship with him. I'm happy you're here. And I just want to say this is just, would be just an amazing opportunity. Your life will not be the same from this day. God is here and he's calling you into a relationship with him.
he's speaking to you and he's here tonight. And if you'd join me in this prayer, I'd be happy to invite you in with him. Just pray under your breath while no one's, everyone's eyes are down, everyone's praying. But just pray, dear God, today I give my whole life to you. I turn from living life my way and let you be the king of my life. Thank you, Jesus, that you died for my sin. I believe that you rose from the dead. Help me to live life for you every day. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, could you please let me know by just raising your hand so I can pray for you and one of my team can also. Thank you. Father, I just thank you for this lady who's made this decision, God, that it's just going to change her life. Father, I thank you that you have met with her and that you have just the most amazing future in store for her. I thank you that there is freedom in you. I thank you that there is healing in you. I thank you, God, that you are just so involved in our lives. I thank you that even in the grief, even in the loss, that you are the same and that you are willing to restore us to our glory, God. And I just pray in Jesus' name.